This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kolarsep, and it is Wednesday, Wednesday morning to be exact, and uh, we will drop two episodes this week. I know I've been saying it for a long time that we would get to the multiple episode schedule, and uh, we'll finally do that this week. As much as my uh, my audio equipment was not uh, wanting to cooperate, I actually recorded an entire podcast earlier this morning. Had issues, had to basically dump it, and now I'm recording this again. Thankfully, we have an interview. Uh, we have U.S. men's national team goalkeeper and Leicester City goalkeeper Chituru Adunzi joining us. And uh, for those of you who don't know much about Adunzi, uh, you're going to find out plenty uh, with an extensive interview that we have with him. Uh, teenage goalkeeper, six foot seven. Uh, he was part of the last, uh, the November U.S. men's national team camp and a very, very uh, promising prospect and uh, great personality. You'll you'll find that when you listen to the interview. We uh, we got to cover a lot of different topics, but uh, we'll get into that. Uh, we're gonna, as I said, we have two episodes this week. So I was initially going to get into the U.S. Men's National Team roster projection. Uh, I dropped an article on SBI recently, and if you haven't read it yet, make sure you go read it. Uh, I was going to give the full breakdown of the roster, but that was part of the recording that I ended up having to dump this morning. Uh, so I've decided to push that to the next episode. Uh, the interview with uh, with Adunzi is really long, so it's good it's good to keep the episode not too crazy long. I want to try to keep it to an hour. So uh, it's better to push that national team talk to the next episode, but trust me, there's plenty to get into here. We have Americans abroad uh, convo. We have so many different topics on the Americans abroad front. And then obviously we have uh, the latest in the MLS news front. Uh, The MLS season is about a month away, actually five weeks away. Uh, teams are starting to report for camps and uh, we're starting to get kind of more and more news tidbits in terms of signings and and deals. So we'll touch a little on that at the end. But uh, first things first, we have to talk Americans abroad. And obviously, Champions League is back in action and we have the American contingent in the Champions League. And unfortunately, we have our first American eliminated in the round of 16. And that is Weston McKinney. Juventus was upset and knocked out by FC Porto on Tuesday. Uh, free kick winner in extra time eliminated Juventus. And it's uh, it's been a rough year for Juventus as much as uh, it's been a great season for McKinney. Uh, it has, it's been a disappointing one for Juventus. Uh, they're currently 10 points out of first place in Serie A. They're, they're very unlikely to win the league there. And now they're out of the Champions League in the round of 16. Of course, when Cristiano Ronaldo signed with Juventus, he signed uh, with the idea that he would help bring that elusive Champions League title to Juventus. And unfortunately for them, it hasn't worked out that way. Two seasons, two round of 16 exits. And now Juve's out. And now the question is, how long does Andrea Pirlo have as manager, uh, considering they're out of the Champions League? And they're pretty far out in terms of the Serie A title race with uh, Inter Milan looking really unstoppable right now. Uh, as far as McKinney goes, it's a disappointing one. He didn't actually start in the second leg. He came on in the second half and I'm not sure how much of that was uh, just a coach's decision. How much of that was McKinney maybe not being 100% as we know. Uh, and as has been revealed in recent weeks, McKinney's been dealing with some injury issues. He had a hip injury that he's been playing through. So maybe he wasn't 100%. And unfortunately for him, he's out now. He won't get to continue on 
into the next round of the Champions League, which obviously is unfortunate. You want to see him get as much of that kind of invaluable experience as he can. Um, but of course, it's still been a good season for him, uh, a season where he's really kind of exceeded all expectations since joining Juventus on loan. And obviously, his uh, his loan has now been turned into a permanent transfer. And as much as Andrea Pirlo's future is in doubt, Weston McKinney has established himself as someone who has a pretty bright future at Juventus. Um, but of course, the question is, if Pirlo is is pushed out, who takes over and how will that affect McKinney? Because as we know, a coaching change can sometimes have a negative impact on a player standing with his team, <coughs> Christian Pulisic. So... We'll, we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes, but I think it's safe to say that Wes McKinney has really established himself at Juventus as someone that is going to continue to be a part of their plans heading into next season. And while Weston McKinney is out of the Champions League, one American who was able to move on to the next round is Gio Reyna. And while he did not play in Borussia Dortmund's round of 16 second leg against Sevilla, his team did prevail uh, thanks to Erling Haaland and his two goals. Erling Haaland just uh, just been unstoppable. Uh, another great performance for him. And Dortmund is on to the quarterfinals. And for those of you who hadn't been keeping track, Giorena has been sidelined. He... Uh, him along with Jade Sancho and Rafael Guerrero. Uh, they've been out since before the Bayern Munich match. All three missed the Bayern Munich match and now all three missed this second leg against Sevilla for undisclosed reasons. And as we all know, in the in the era of COVID-19, whenever you have these kind of mystery situations with players who are sidelined, it's a safe bet that it has something to do with COVID-19, whether it's uh, them actually having it or them you know, being exposed to it and they have to be quarantined. Unfortunate, obviously, for for Dortmund, but they were able to manage, uh, even though they lost to Bayern without that without that trio, they did come back and they beat Sevilla. Uh, great performance again by uh, Erling Haaland. But as far as Giorena goes, it's uh, d- disappointing, obviously, to, to see that, you know, him miss two huge matches that he ends up missing. And hopefully whatever's going on with Reyna is, uh, is not serious or he can kind of get over it. It's been a rough 2021 for Reyna, right? Obviously, we're heading into the third month of the of the year, and he hasn't. He struggled to capture that form that he had at the beginning of the year. And you know, I believe at the beginning of uh, back in January, I believe Reina spoke publicly about kind of feeling burnt out. And obviously, it it was a it was a stretch there where he was starting every game and playing more minutes than he ever had in his young career. Obviously, he just turned eighteen. He's this is a whole new level for him. And, you know, you have to wonder, did he kind of, you know, hit a wall? And obviously his form hasn't been what it was in 2020, in the final months of 2020, where he really kind of broke out and really showed the quality that makes him one of the top teenagers in in Europe. Obviously, now with this whole situation and him missing out, you wonder, you know, what's going to happen, where he'll be when he comes back. And knock on wood, hopefully it's nothing serious and he can get back and get back in the lineup for Dortmund and be available for the United States when they play their two friendlies later in March against Jamaica in Northern Ireland. And he's obviously such a big part of the future plans for the United States. And and if you're Greg Berhalter, you, you got to have your fingers crossed that you will have Reina available because you want to see him, you want to have him continue to develop in the U.S. setup and really kind of establish himself there and kind of, you know, let, let his personality kind of get settled into and see how he kind of fits in with the group. And obviously in November, he, he made his debut and he obviously showed some good things. And obviously there's going to be a lot of expectations about uh, as far as Reina goes as 
as as we get into the the games that matter later in 2021. But hopefully he's available and hopefully he can play in these March friendlies just to continue to add continue to build on that and, and, and help him continue to evolve. And so, and also so the teammates can kind of get a, a feel for each other. You want to have as close to a full-strength U.S. team as possible. Obviously, it's a little up in the air how, how close to a full-strength team there will be because of the COVID-19 restrictions and whether or not teams are going to release players. Because I think you've already seen in certain situations where teams are, are kind of balking at, at the whole idea of international friendlies, especially now when there's still all kinds of restrictions and players who go away when they come back, they have to come, you know, some, in some countries they have to, you know, sit in quarantines that could cause them to miss more matches. We already saw in uh, the South American World Cup qualifiers have been postponed. Uh, the March ones that were scheduled, the, the qualifiers that were supposed to be played in March, have now been postponed. So you wonder, will will some other teams, will some teams just decide, you know what, we don't want our guy to go away for a friendly. And if that happens, obviously that's going to be a real test for Burhalter as he tries to put a squad together. But here's hoping, knock on wood, that we have Giorina be a part of the March friendlies and, it, and he can kind of get back to his best and get back to the, the player that we saw really, really shine in 2020. Now you knew we were going to have to talk about Christian Pulisic. I feel like it's a it's a topic for every episode, uh, given the the soap opera going on at Stanford Bridge. But as we all know, and as I'm sure you're listening to this right now, you know Christian Pulisic is struggling for minutes at Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel. Once again, uh, making another ca- another short short cameo for him. Uh, played, I believe, one minute in their most recent match. Uh, well, technically one minute, but probably more like four or five minutes, including stoppage time. But once again, not in the starting lineup for Thomas Tuchel. And and already you're starting to see kind of the panic among American soccer fans worried about his future and worried about, you know, his current situation. And obviously it's not a it's not a great thing when you have a player who isn't getting regular playing time, especially one of your, your star players, U.S. national team star player. But of course, when your team is winning, and you're not in the starting lineup, it's kind of hard to get back in, right? And that, that that's the, the issue right now for Pulisic. And it needs to be said that, it needs to be remembered anyway, that when Thomas Tuchel took over, Christian Pulisic was getting regular playing time. He was starting pretty regularly for Frank Lampard when healthy. And in rec- and in the games, and then the stretch of games before Lampard was, was, was fired, Pulisic didn't light it up. He wasn't on form. He wasn't scoring goals. He wasn't. He wasn't crushing it. It wasn't the project restart Christian Pulisic that we saw last year, who was one of the best players in the Premier League when he came back from uh, from the break. That Christian Pulisic, trust me, would be in the starting lineup if uh, if that's the player that Thomas Tuchel found when he arrived. But the reality is, Christian Pulisic wasn't in the best form when Thomas Tuchel arrived. And there were also questions as far as fitness, as far as his, as far as his ability to stay healthy and concerns about that. And if you're Thomas Tuchel, you show up, you have a job to do in terms of turning things around, in terms of setting a tone, establishing your way of playing and figuring out what your first choice 11 is. And clearly when he sat down and he looked at all everything, when he looked at the form of the players, when he looked at, at what he needed them to do in terms of the system and the style of play and the pressing and everything that he wants to do, you look at Pulisic, not in great form. He'd had, he had been having some injury issues uh, this season again. So if you're if you're Thomas Tuchel and you look at Pulisic and you look, you know him, you you appreciate what he can give you as a player, but you also have to kind of look at it and say, well, if I'm not sure about his ability to stay healthy, 
And I have other players who have clearly shown themselves to be more durable and who maybe could be a bit more reliable as a starter, at least initially. Why don't I go with those guys? Why don't I bring Christian Pulisic off the bench? He, I know he can give me an impact off the bench. I know that not everyone can do that. Not everyone is effective off the bench. Not everyone can just turn it on, come into a game and change things around. He knows Pulisic can do that. So, you know, when you weigh all that, it, you kind of understand why Tuchel made the decision that he made. And here's what it boils down to, right? When Tuchel first arrives, he figures out the lineup he's going to start with, that he's going to get the ball rolling with, right? And the team responded. The team won games. The team is undefeated to this day since Tuchel took over. And it, it's just unfortunate, Pulisic, that he wasn't part of the initial group, that he wasn't part of the initial lineup that Tuchel went with. So now, you know, the team continues to win, and it's just it's just a tough situation for, for Pulisic to get back in there. But... Having said that, it's a challenge. And, you know, this is what comes with playing at the highest level, playing for the best teams in the world, teams that are stacked with two squads worth of players, elite, elite players. I mean, look at the bench. Look at Chelsea's bench for their last game. When you, you know, a guy, when you got a guy like N'Golo Conte on your bench, I mean, that just shows you the quality that you can afford to have him on your bench for any game. And, Pulisic's, Pulisic has very serious competition for minutes for playing time. So, uh, it, look, it's disappointing. It's 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 a con- it's cause for concern for sure. But is it really time to cut bait? Is it really time for Pulisic to say, okay, it's time for me to go, get me out of here, I want to leave? I mean, it's a little early for that, right? And I would caution people to take it easy and be careful what you read, be careful what you see out there because you see a lot of crap, you see a lot of misleading. Uh, reporting, uh, I hate to even call it reporting, but I mean, I, just as an example, I saw I saw an article that came out of the UK, and the headline and the the Twitter headline or the the story headline alluded to Pulisic, his unhappiness, Pulisic's unhappiness with with how he's being handled. Right, so you see that, and you're like, uh oh. We're going to get the dirt now. Uh-oh, Pulisic's coming out. Pulisic's letting it be known. He's not happy, right? That's what you assume, or that's what you think when you see a headline like that. But then you read the story, there's no actual mention of Pulisic actually being unhappy, actually saying he's unhappy, or anyone even suggests, anyone even saying that he's unhappy. It's more an implication. That was that. That was what this one article was. This one article that basically, well, he can't, he's not playing. He can't possibly be happy. So it's like, how does that become a, then a headline that you know a lot of people see and a lot of people assume? Oh, well, Christian Pulisic's not happy. He's ready to leave, and it and it, and it's just that easy that you get a completely fabricated angle, and it turns into 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 a whole storyline. So. Uh, it, it, just be careful with that kind of stuff. It, look, is it out of the realm of possibility that Christian Pulisic is unhappy? Of course not. He He's not playing right now. He's not getting regular starts. He's not getting good minutes. So no player would be happy. But there's a there's a big jump. There's a big difference between, you know, a player who's in a situation that they, they're not happy with and they need to kind of turn around and a player who's looking out the door, looking to leave planning his next move, plotting a transfer, which is the implication you're already starting to see because that's how it works. People, you know, you got outlets, you got quote unquote reporters that will just completely run with these kind of angles just because it, 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 
you know, you get clicks. So just be careful and always consider the sources, always consider the outlets because there's certain outlets that that's what they do. They completely push BS. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. And when it comes down to it, people, you're consuming so much, right? In terms of content, whether it's social media, whether it's actual regular media, articles, what have you, tweets, Instagram posts. So you just get inundated with information, right? And so it's easy to absorb things that are complete BS because you don't even realize it's complete BS because it's just in the pile of, of info that you get. I would just say be a little careful. And if you see a headline that's a little kind of like a head scratcher or a headline that catches your eye and makes you say, "Uh oh, try to read the article and see if the article matches up with the headline. Because these days you never know if that's going to happen. And that's an unfortunate thing. But that's just the reality that we live in. You get you just the the idea of journalistic integrity is kind of long gone now as you get, you know, these questionable outlets that 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 have put up questionable reporting. And you get uh, I mean, I can go down a whole I can get on the soapbox about that. I've done it before. And apologies for that. But just be careful. And with this with the Pulisic thing, I would say this. Of course, he can't be happy about the playing situation, but he's also a player who's been in, in these kind of situations before adversity and he's responded to adversity. We all remember when he first got to Chelsea and Frank Lampard wasn't playing him. Even then it was kind of like, Oh, he's got to go. This is a bad, this clearly, this was a mistake of a transfer. He never should have left Dortmund. He shouldn't have gone to Chelsea. That, that, I mean, that was instant, immediate, I mean, you, you, you saw you saw implications and suggestions that Lampard didn't like Pulisic or Lampard didn't rate him. Lampard didn't, you know, didn't want him. I mean, all this is the kind of stuff that you, it just makes the rounds. It's just when it comes down to it, you get people who just absolutely make things up when it comes down to it. Quote unquote journalists who just make things up. And I hate to say it because I'm a journalist, right? Uh, I've been doing this for more than 20 years now and I've seen it. You see it. You're around long enough. You see the patterns. You see the, the tricks of the trade. You see the questionable shady types that will just try to make a name on, on basically half baked information or in some cases completely fictional information. So as a, as, as a consumer of, of information, as a consumer of media, I would suggest to all of you just be careful what you read and consider the outlets that you you follow for your information and if if the outlets that you follow tend to put out bad information stop following them stop listening to them stop reading them because that's seriously that's the only way to to clean up your your info is to stop even even acknowledging or stop even following giving air to the outlets that are clearly just throwing throwing crap at walls. That's what you get. Outlets throwing crap at walls. But in terms of Pulisic, he's he's got adversity that he's got to deal with. He's got competition for minutes at Chelsea. That is a stacked team, absolutely deep team, and they're winning. And when it comes down to it, he's going to get an opportunity. Will come along. There will be injuries. Uh, there will be a slump. There will be multiple, you know, a heavy fixture list. When you talk about Chelsea, they're playing in Champions League. They're playing in FA Cup. They're playing, obviously, with the Premier League games that they have. They play a busy schedule. There will be opportunities. Pulisic will get his chance to start. And it will be up to him to make the most of those of the opportunity when it presents itself. And he's someone who's shown that he can deal with adverse situations, that he can handle it. He's not necessarily going to crumble. And I think that's the that, that's why for me, I'm never one to 
to kind of overreact on this stuff because I feel like people like in in a lot of cases I feel like fans overreact because they look at it from their standpoint and how they would deal with the situation, right? Like, oh, if I if that were me, oh my, I would have to leave. Like, I can't, you know, because it's like, but you're not built like a player like Christian Pulisic and what he's had to do to get to where he is and the kind of competitor that he is. He's not going to fold because he's faced with adversity. He's not going to fold because he's, you know, can't get on the field right now. If anything, it's going to piss him off, make him work harder, make him go into training and, and start buzzing around and fighting for a play, a spot, fighting for minutes. And that's what you want. You want a player to react that way, to respond that way. And I think he's shown that he can be that player and that he is that kind of player. So instead of freaking out, instead of panicking, instead of, you know, all right, it's time for him to leave already, like, give the guy some credit. Give him some credit that he can handle it. Give him some credit that he can respond. Because, I mean, you know, look, if you if if this is what you think, if you think he should run as soon as there's some adversity, then you clearly don't think much of him. Because this is what it is. This is this is life at the highest level of the game, playing for teams that have these kind of squads and these kind of rosters and that and this kind of depth. This is what you're going to deal with. Look at Weston McKinney at Juventus. He had he's had to deal with that. And as soon as he arrived, look, he's looking at a midfield with you know Arthur, Aaron Ramsey, Rabi, Adrian Rabio, uh, any number of players there. In the central midfield. And what does he have to do? He has to fight. He has to fight, fight, fight for every game, every minute, every start. And he's succeeded. Look at Serginho Dest at Barcelona. He's he's having to you know fight every week to make sure he gets on the field. And if he struggles, he can lose his job. And it could take a Sergi Roberto getting hurt for him to get another opportunity. And then making the most of that opportunity when it comes. That's what it's about. It's about competing. And it's about facing that adversity and showing that you have the fortitude and quality to thrive and to earn your spot. What's with all this running? Like, oh, get him out. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. <laughs> like, but look, here's the thing. Okay, so the teams that Christian Pulisic has been mentioned with and linked with, again, questionable reports because I've seen some of these. I've seen some of these just fabricated from thin air reports already. Speculation as far as where he could end up and teams that are quote unquote interested. Bayern Munich. Do we really think he's going to go to Bayern Munich and not have to fight for minutes? Are we serious? When you look at the players that they have, Kingsley Coman's and Leroy Sane's and uh, I mean, like, really? He's not going to have competition for Serge Gnabry. He's not. Oh, you know. It's easy to walk into Bayern and get minutes. Or Liverpool or Manchester United? Come on, folks. No matter where he goes at the level that he's at now, he's going to have to fight for minutes. And that's perfectly fine because it gives him the opportunity to show he deserves it. And what I would say is that if you're a fan of Christian Pulisic, you should not want want him to run. You should want him to fight. You should want him to compete and you should want him to succeed by earning it. Not by running and running and running until he finds somewhere comfortable. Find somewhere that he doesn't have to worry about 
competition for a starting spot that he could just settle in and play every week. No, folks, that's not that's not what's going to get him to the best of his ability. That's not what's going to help him reach his absolute peak. Competition is going to get him there. Like they like the old saying goes, pressure busts pipes and pressure makes diamonds. I know I like to get a little cliche here. I know that's a little cliche saying, but it's reality. And this is the situation for Pulisic right now. He's at Chelsea, team's winning, new coach. He's not in the he's not in a rotation for, for big minutes. He's got to fight to get back in there. And I think he can do it. I've give I've listen, I've criticized Pulisic in the past. I've I'm not one of these pom pom waivers who, you know, if he breathes, I'm like, you know, jumping for joy and and singing his praises like some some other people out here. I've criticized them in the past, but I will give him credit in that he responds to adversity. He's done it multiple times, and I think he could do it again. So for that for that reason, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's time for him to go. It's time for him to go. It's over. It's a wrap. He's never getting in the lineup again. Come on, guy, give him a little more credit than that. Because I think he's shown he can step up to the challenge. Now, as I said earlier, we will not be digging into the U.S. men's national team projected roster for the March friendlies on this episode. But one thing I will say is that the competition for the striker position for those friendlies is going to be it's going to be pretty tough, pretty tough, because uh, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of players scoring goals. And there's, there's also players that are jumping into the into the picture uh, and. Daryl DK and Josh Sargent are two of those players. Uh, both are on really good runs of form. Both have, have scored in multiple recent matches. And I think if you're Greg Berhalter, you have to find you have to bring those both strikers in into the March friendlies, and uh, we'll see if their teams uh, release them. I, I would imagine Barnsley will let DK go on international duty. You would think, you would hope. Uh, as far as Sargent, obviously, uh, Werder Bremen didn't release him in November, so you wonder what will happen this time around if they'll release him. But even if you can't have both of those guys, uh, another player that uh, Greg Berhalter could bring in is Jordan Sibachu, the young boys striker, uh, the Swiss side, on loan from Wren, uh, who's been lighting it up with this in the Swiss League, but now more recently has been lighting it up in the Europa League, scoring multiple goals against Bayer Leverkusen in Europa League to help uh, young boys get to the next round, round of 16 in Europa League. And, you know, scoring goals against multiple goals against Bayer Leverkusen, that's obviously a step up from the Swiss League. And uh, there's reporting on Wednesday, CBS Sports is reporting that Sibachu is ready to accept the call up from the U.S. men's national team. And that makes things even more interesting because now when you think about the striker position, you have the two players who I just mentioned, Sargent and DK. And then you also have Matthew Hoppy. Uh, the Schalke striker who's been starting and who obviously had had the great January stretch where he had five goals in three matches and that just really put him on the map, right? And he's someone who you had kind of expected to get a call up in March, but now now you have too many strikers. Now you have Sargent, you have DK, you have Hoppy, you have Sibachu, you have Nicholas Giacchini, you have Aaron Johansson. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it's a lot of guys and, and at most you'd imagine you'd bring three strikers, right? You have strikers, then you have wide forwards, you have the wingers and generally Berhalter usually likes to just bring in two strikers, but you got to think he'll bring three just with the number of people that he, he, he would, con- he would be potentially looking at. So, uh, I think if anything, maybe if, I mean, me personally, I hope, I hope Sergeant gets the chance to get called in because he hasn't been with the team 
He hasn't been with the men's national team since uh, November of 2019, actually, since Nations League in 2019. So it's been a while. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's it's almost kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing with Sargent and U.S. fans, because I still remember, and I hate to bring it up again, but I still remember U.S. fans jumping on the Matthew Hoppy bandwagon in January and kind of looking at Sargent as this guy who can't score goals for Werder Bremen. And it's like, forget Sargent. We're on the Matthew Hoppy wave. And I, and I, I said from jump, I said from day one, listen, for some respect on Josh Sargent's name, he is the top striker. He might not be scoring the goals in ton, but in bunches for Werder Bremen, but he is absolutely the most well-rounded and polished striker in the group. And now that he's actually scoring goals, uh, it's, it puts even more of a, a hold for me. And for my money, it puts it gives Sargent more of a hold on the top spot and the, on the striker depth chart going forward. And I know I've said in the past that Josie Altador is Greg Berhalter's go-to guy if he's healthy. But obviously, it's t- you know it's tough for him to stay healthy. We don't know about his club situation right now because I tell you what, I don't know if I would put money on Josie Altador being with Toronto FC when the season be uh, you know for the twenty twenty one season. I have a feeling we'll see him somewhere else. So his 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 future is a little kind of a little up in the air right now. And for me, Sargent is clearly the future of the position, but he's got more competition on the way with Daryl DK tearing it up, with Siabachu now in the picture. A lot of options there, a lot of options. And uh, if you're Greg Berhalter, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of striker options because you don't want the the opposite problem is worse, much worse, when you you don't have any. So we'll see. We'll see who, who gets called in. But right now, DK and Sargent are playing very, very well uh, in both just with their most recent goals. And DK with the wonder strike, probably the best goal, the best goal by an American in a, in a, in a minute, probably since Weston McKinney's. Uh, goal against Barcelona in Champions League. Uh, absolute beauty. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing both, hopefully both those guys part of the U.S. camp at the end of March. And another player who could be part of that U.S. camp in March is joining us on this episode of the SBI show. We have Leicester City goalkeeper and U.S. men's national team prospect Chituru Adunzi uh, joining us from Leicester. Chituru, welcome to the SBI show. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. And you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. And it, my name is pronounced Ivis because uh, I hear 50 Ivis. ways in case you were, I'm sure you had no idea how to say it because it's, it's 50, yeah, 50 was, ways. Um, yeah, you could do a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th- definitely thank you for joining us. How good does it feel to, f- to get finally get some games? I, I know you had a, a stretch there where you weren't playing actual matches, but now you've gotten some games recently. What, what's that been like for you just to kind of get back out there between the pipes and, and start getting some games? Yeah, it's good. It's really good. Um, yeah, as you said, uh, the the rush that you get from a game is unlike any, especially being a goalkeeper. Like the pressure of um, trying to keep a clean sheet or just trying to keep the game close, you, it's it's difficult to replicate in training. So it's great to get back on the field. How long had it been since you you'd actually played live games? Not not too long. Um, oh, you say a live game? Right, right, right. Like a live official. Um, I play. I did play a a a league game for the 18s in December. Okay, but live game, I wouldn't even be able to remember actually right now. Off off, mm-hmm. off my head, I wouldn't be able to remember. And what, what was the uh, you know what was the toughest part about it? Just kind of getting back into it, or, or was it like riding a bike? You just kind of felt you know right back at it. No, it's I mean football is football, regardless, isn't it? But um, yeah, you just 
uh, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. It was yeah, you'd say like riding a bike, just getting back to getting back to it, right. baby steps. Yeah, that's right. Now, now I know you you spent a lot of time training with the with the Leicester City first team. Obviously, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the better teams in in England. Uh, they're right there pushing yeah. for a place in the top four. What's the experience like? Just getting that that steady amount of time. This isn't like a case of just you know you getting one day in there with them. It's like you've been there for a good stretch. What's that experience been like, and how do you, how much does that help you grow? Because people, I feel, underestimate how much you can actually gain or grow just being around kind of that that level of team. Oh, hundred percent. Like the um, previous previously, uh, like last season. I would be around, but it wouldn't be like around every day training, doing all the, um, doing everything. Uh, so now that I'm, that I was able to, it's, it's complete, it's completely different now that you're able to see how they live their own lifestyles, the stuff they do to prepare for games, the stuff they do in games, in training, in the gym, like that's a uh, experience that you can't really substitute with anything. So yeah, it was great. Right, and obviously you get to to train with and, and work with Casper Schmeichel, who obviously former uh, Premier League title winner and, and veteran. What's uh, what's he like to work with? I know you know go, every goalkeeper is different. Some goalkeepers are very kind of open in terms of working with younger younger players. Some some kind of do their own thing. What, what's he been like to kind of work under? Oh, he's solid. He's he's a really great guy. He's he's a perfectionist. He's a perfectionist. He's um, he has. He's very, very, uh, what's the word I would use? Um, he takes care with every little thing and he's, he takes care of every little detail. So it's just so much to learn from him. There's so much. And even the other two goalkeepers, Danny Ward and Eldin Yakubovic, like each and every one of them, they've been like, so they've been so good. They've been so good to me. Yeah. Now, now you, uh, I, I'd imagine you are the tallest of those of that group of goalkeepers. Is that, right? is that you, you got a few? Yeah. You got a few inches on these guys. So, so now, yeah. f- f- funny enough, as far as Casper goes, uh, just a small world kind of situation. I, I, I had a chance to go to Manchester. Now, mind you, I'm very old, right? So, I, I was. <laughs> I got a chance to go to Manchester in 2003 when Tim Howard first went to Man United. So I spent a week out there, and, and I spent a day at Man City's training. And Casper Schmeichel, I believe, was seven, a 17-year-old academy prospect there. Uh, I had a chance to meet him then, and at that time, it's just like, oh, this is Peter Schmeichel's kid. Like, no one knew, you know, who what what's what's he going to do? Who's he going to be? How's he going to be? And he's turned out obviously to have have himself a pretty heck of a uh, heck of a good career uh, overall. But it's you know, six two people think that's a good size. Now you're six seven. Now is at, what are the advantages, and, and are there any disadvantages to being six seven in goal? I mean, the advantages are just obvious, aren't they? Um, being six seven, you've got more body to cover the goal. Of course, um, you can come out for crosses a bit more frequently. But I'm not gonna lie, growing up like tall and growing quite often, it's not it's not easy to um, be able to control your body. So I use the term like getting used to and familiarizing yourself with your body a lot like every single time you grow a couple inches it's like you need to reintroduce yourself to your own body so it's it can be it can be really difficult because you can find a lot of tall goalkeepers uh well six six plus or six five plus 
goalkeepers won't be able to move at fast speeds or get up off the ground quickly. And like, I've just had to make sure that I'm always in the gym, making sure that I'm pow- uh, making sure that my limbs are powerful. I'm able to do all the speed stuff that um, the, I wouldn't say shorter, but the more average sized goalkeepers are able to do, you know? I'd imagine you were always kind of one of the taller kids in your age group, but w- when did you actually have that that serious growth spurt that, that got you closer, you know, where you made the big jump very quickly? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always been quite taller than everyone. Um, but the big one was about, I'd say, ele- like the years 11 to 14. Like, I remember measuring myself at 12 and hitting six feet, and which is unbelievable. But then I was just, by the time I was 14, I think I was 6'4". So it was, were yeah, like, about that. Were you like, slow down? Like, all right, this is enough? Or were, are you just kind of going with it? Like, oh, did, The growing pains are unbelievable. Like, I, I wanted to stop growing so much. I was like, yeah, that's enough. That's enough. And then every day, like a few more centimeters, it was, but, I mean, I've gotten used to it now. Right. Now, did you ever have to deal with any injuries with that? Because I, I, I definitely know uh, players who've had that where they, they have that growth spurt. And with the growth plates and everything, you're kind of susceptible to potential injuries. I still remember Michael Bradley uh, when he was coming up and he was a rookie. You know, he grew, I, wanna, I don't know how many inches he grew like in a year, but he ended up having kind of, mm. I think he broke his foot. And it, you're, you're definitely open to those kind of things. Did you, you have to deal with those kind of things at all? Um, yeah, I had, so just as I was saying, like having to reintroduce yourself to your body, like there's not a lot of strength in your limbs. So I would have like hip problems and knee problems that, uh, that if, uh, I wasn't taking care of myself would occur. So, um, yeah, I had a brief difficulty with that, but no major injuries. No. Right. Now, obviously, growing up, you you you've moved a, a decent amount. You you moved a, lived a few different places. Obviously, you were born in the U.S. Uh, you you lived in England originally, and and then you yeah. ended up uh, in Canada. And obviously, that's there's some culture shock there. Obviously, just bouncing a few <laughs> different places. Uh, as far as your time in, in England initially, when you were a kid, I, I know you, you were with the Chelsea uh, Youth Academy at one point. What, what was kind of your fondest memory of that? And, and were there any players from your time there that ended up like that are now part of Chelsea's first team group? Or because I know there's always talk about kind of, you know, coming up. I know they have some some younger players that have come up, but anyone that you remember from that time? Oh, yeah. Um, no, I, I still keep in touch with a lot of the players that I played with back then. Um the um, the biggest you'd probably uh, hear about now is uh, Jamal Musiala at Bayern. He just signed his new deal. Um, yeah, he was. I would play with him. Uh, there's a lot of Chelsea players that are on the uh, that are on the brink of getting into that first team, right. but just like uh, maybe a season away from their debuts, some with debuts. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of good players. Nice. Well, obviously, Musiala, uh, he's, com- he's coming into his own for sure. And he just chose Germany. He actually just chose to represent Germany. That was a little uh, uh, headline oh, yeah. maker over there. I'm sure folks in, folks, folks in England are, are freaking out a little bit. But uh, so, so, you, so you go from England uh, to Canada and you're in Calgary. What, what was that experience like for you? Did you know anything about Calgary? All I, I think all I know about Calgary is that it gets cold up there. What, what was that like for you? Uh, kind of. That's basically what I knew going into it. Uh, 
I knew that they didn't play football. I, I knew that for sure. Um, and then I knew that it was going to be very cold, but I didn't realize how cold it was going to be and how long it was going to be cold. So, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock for me, I won't lie. How, how, how overboard were you on the winter apparel as you, you were adapting to that? Were you kind of putting on like five layers just to go outside? Like how, how was that adjustment for you? I just wouldn't go outside. Um, <laughs> okay. People would know now I, I'm, I'm, I hate the snow. I don't like it at all. Still, so even, the cold even is not for me. So even after a while, you still didn't get used to it. You still didn't. Uh... <laughs> no, I don't think I can ever get cold, get used to cold weather. No. Right. All right. So, so you, so you're in Calgary and you're not playing. So did you like go a while without playing any soccer at all? Or was it more just playing kind of whatever local soccer you could find? Yeah. Um, no, I was playing with, um, uh, I went, I don't know. Uh, it was called uh, minor soccer over there. Okay. Uh, I was playing for a team called, uh, played for a couple of teams, Calgary villains, the blizzards and, uh, the foothills. Uh, yeah, I played, uh, around there I played for the province which is like playing for the state and then eventually I made my way over to Vancouver right that's right now, now obviously the Whitecaps are known for the having a very good academy set up over there uh mm. and then from there you made the jump to Leicester City now I know you, so you lived you lived in England and then you lived in Canada uh how did the United States uh, how did the U.S. Uh, youth national team set up uh, get back into the picture and, and convince you to to play for the United States, or did it take not take much convincing at all? Like how, how did it did that... not take it did not take much convincing. Um, to be honest, um, for the longest time, I didn't real I didn't think that uh, that U.S. soccer even knew I was American, like because um, I hadn't lived or played for an American team um, uh, as a as a youth player. So when I was playing in uh, Vancouver, I didn't really expect, uh, USA to realize until, um, it was, uh, I think summer 2018 when I got the very first call up to a domestic camp. And then from there, but like the rest is history, isn't it? It sounds like, you know, you didn't have to make any decisions on it. You, you, you were totally jumping on that opportunity, even though you didn't live in the U S that long, was there still a sense of a connection there? Because I, like, I, I think I mentioned to you before we got on here that I spoke to Dwayne Holmes recently and he was in a similar situation where he was born in the U.S. when he was very young. He had family here. Mm. And even though he grew up in England, he still always kind of felt that connection. He always felt like, you know, in his mind, like American, like I'm American, like I want to you know represent the U.S. Was that something that was always kind of back in your mind? Like, I, I you know, I'd like yeah, to play for, for the sure. U.S. 100 percent. I mean, everyone would want to represent their country, wouldn't they? So when America called me up, it was like a no brainer, wasn't it? And so there were no, no family kind of, you know, con- telling you to consider other, cause you're eligible, I believe for, uh, can, I think you're eligible for Canada. And I, as far yeah. as Nigeria goes, I don't know if, if you, if the family, you know, if, if you could play for, for, for Nigeria, but it's, yeah. Um, I am eligible to play for, um, uh, England, Canada and, um, Nigeria as well, but I mean, I've um, I've been sticking with uh, USA for for this long, so yeah, I mean, it should say something. Right, right. You're locked in. You're locked in. That's good. That's um, good. Yeah, I'm locked in. Because you know, I, th- I, feel I mean, like- they've stuck with me. They've stuck with me, so I 
I mean, I'd stick with them. That's good to hear. I tell you, there's been players through the years. There's been some players who, you know, everyone thought, okay, they're going to play for the U.S. And then, boom, turn around. They're all of a sudden wearing a different uniform. But it sounds like not only are you locked in, but you're even helping, like you're ready to recruit also. Like you're ready to (laughs) kind of talk to some of these dual nationals and and get them to play. Is that that also, are you on on the low? Are you working on that too, trying to get some of these other players? I mean, that's that's, that's what people are saying on there. That's what people are saying on Nah, um, the whole Eunice thing. Yeah, he's he's just. Uh, I, I got quite close to him last camp, so um, yeah, we we just talk every now and then. So yeah, he's 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 a great guy. Right. He's a great guy. Now, now, you had a chance to be in your first U.S. Men's National Team camp, and I'm sure that was a, a, a great experience, especially oh, as young as you are. Now, one thing I hear a lot about from from people who, when they're kind of in their first camps, especially kind of dual nationals or players who you know you know could play for a lot of different countries, uh, that you know when they then they go into the U.S. camp, it's a welcoming environment. It's a very even though you know these these are guys you maybe you didn't you didn't come up with or you didn't play with you know coming up. It, everyone's kind of very welcoming. It has that 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 kind of nurturing environment. Did you feel that when you came in there? Like everyone, like 100%. it was like a family environment. Hundred percent. It's like a brotherhood, yeah. Hundred percent. Like those you took the words straight from my mouth. Like it's with the first time I came in, of course I had a had nerves because these are like big time players, but straight away, like they they treated me like they treat anyone else. So yeah, it was it was great. So you weren't sure when you were getting there. Cause I mean before wait, once you find out you're going and you kind of see the list of the players on that list. Who, who was on that list that you kind of already knew? It was just, I think it was just Gio. Yeah, just me and Gio right. that played together for the uh, 17. So. And and what was, uh, so obviously you're working in there with, uh, I think Hor- Horvath and, and Stefan were in there as well for the goalkeepers. Uh, yeah. What was that like? What was that like being, you know, that first chance to be around, around those guys? Yeah, I was actually like, I was, really excited to train with them and just um so i can because of course watching them in games isn't really the same as being able to see them up close so yeah it was really it was it was a it was a great experience They're great guys and even even better players right right now I, I i actually remember seeing you play uh with the u20s in the january camp not this ja- last january obviously but the one before that mm-hmm. uh when you guys played mexico i was actually down there uh i was down there for oh, us yeah. i was down there for the senior camp but then i i watched that game you guys beat them 2-0 that was when uh, i think harper had cameron harper had two goals and him and cole bassett uh, did yeah. their, they did their thing and i remember you being very vocal that's like is that is that bit like a part of your game that you're very kind of like you're you're not shy about shouting instructions to your guys is that is that a big part of your game I mean, yeah, of, of course. That's um. I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm, I'd like to say I'm a big personality too. So, um, when I go in, when I get into a goal, it's uh, with my teammates. It's let me help you help me if it makes any sense. Right. So when I'm talking to them, I'm I'm asking. I'm genuinely asking them to do something so it can help me, which helps them, which helps the team. So. I just I just keep doing it right right. now back with the senior camp one of the things and I'm sure you hear about this all the time is the the video of of Weston McKinney 
giving you the love tap in the head there. And at the, in the, it, it was just funny because as big as you are, when you got up, it was like, it was like a scene out of a movie or something when, when like the big guy's going to just beat up the guy who just slapped him. What, what, what was that? What was that experience like? And it's, it seemed like, you, obviously you got along with Weston. I mean, he's a character obviously, but what was that? What was oh that? yeah. He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. No, I mean, I didn't realize who it was. I was just like, just first reaction someone slaps the back of your head and you just get up and turn around. And then I see them and I see this phone. I just start laughing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as big as you are, I can't imagine you get many people slapping you. I mean, that's fair, right? I mean, that's not happening. Um, yeah. Already. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not regular. It's not regular. No. When, yeah. When, I feel like whenever we've, cause you've seen, you see those kind of videos, right? Where you, you'll see like, like where there's a joke, right? Where like they'll slap a bodybuilder and a bodybuilder will look at him like, this guy must be crazy if he's slapping me. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. so maybe I shouldn't like haul off and hit him because who knows what's going on. And one thing I did want to ask you, so obviously how, t- how tough was it uh, to find out with the U20 world cup? Obviously that was, it was, you know, something you were looking toward. And obviously the team you guys could have had, U20 team, uh, potential U20 World Cup team you could have had was, was going to be something special. Well, how tough was that when you heard that? And was it just kind of like, you, I mean, given how crazy a year it was, was it kind of expected? I mean, I was really, really excited for the for the World Cup. Uh, it was set to be in Indonesia, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the team looked like it could have been really, really good. Like we had some really good players. But when they cancelled it, I was quite, I was, I was quite disappointed because, of course, you want to represent your country at the world stage, and I was quite disappointed with um, how the 17s World Cup went. I feel like we could have gone further than we did, and so I was, I wanted to make it up the 20s. So, but. I guess we move. <laughs> right. Just move, yeah, keep it moving. And now you did mention the under 17 World Cup. And obviously, that was a obviously a disappointing tournament. Uh, with the group that you had, obviously, anyone who watched you guys in qualifying, the U17s, mm. I mean, you guys were, were amazing and, you know, should have beat Mexico uh, in that final. But what, as tough as it was, what, what was what was that first experience like just being in your first world cup? I mean, it still had to be a memorable one for you, right? I mean, you know, first oh, FIFA yeah, tournament. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's like, it's surreal. Like when you're, when you're standing on the field and seeing uh, the full stadium, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a great experience. It's a great experience. Now when you move around, when you've lived in as, as many different places as you've lived, there's always a chance of picking up accents, and when you, would you, would you say that you're at, you can adapt your accent to where you are and maybe who you're talking to? Do you find yourself doing that, or does it come and go? Because I gotta say, sometimes I hear you, you sound you, like you you. Oh, it's almost like a full on American like accent, and sometimes I hear the British. Like, does it come in? Does it come in and out? Do you get that a little bit? Man, that uh, the whole accent thing, like it's subconscious. Right. But even now that I'm thinking about it, it's all over the place. Right. But um, it's subconscious and just depending where I am or who I'm talking to, like right. it can just differ and differentiate. Like my teammates, my family, my old teammates, oh, they gave me they gave me so much stick about it. But like jumping from place to place to place to place back and forth doesn't help at all i hear so. everything man i hear i hear i hear canadian in there i hear i hear <laughs> you i hear definitely hear uk at times and and some american as well and also it could be the same voice but depending on who's listening right because i'm sure when you're in england 
they're like, oh, you're American, right? Because and, and people don't oh, realize exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because okay. um, they were they're not able to differentiate like what's what. So I can be talking the same way, and someone's like, oh yeah, he sounds quite British the way he's saying that. Oh, then the next person can say, oh yeah, that's quite American the way he's speaking. Just depends who's listening. Yeah. Now, now you you've been now you've been back at Leicester City, and you made that decision to go uh, over, over to Europe. And obviously everyone wants to, to be in Europe that, in, in, you know, at the top of the game, but in terms of making that move, when you made it, um, it, how tough was it? Was it tough? I mean, obviously at Vancouver, there's always that possibility of, of maybe a, a quicker pathway to first team, first team, mm-hmm. uh, soccer. What to take me through that process? Was it, how tough was it? Or was it not really that tough? It was easy to kind of put yourself back in England. I've always had the goal of, playing in the Premier League. Premier League is a I've had that since I was a little kid. But uh after moving to Vancouver and spending time there, uh, when the decision came, it wasn't easy it wasn't so easy that I made it in like a split second. Of course it took um deliberation, it took a uh, a bit of a conversation with family, friends, coaches and like just the people in my corner and then we, I think it was like mutually decided that yeah, this is the right time, and I think we should do it, now, and I don't regret it. Right now, I know your your family, as far as your your parents are, I believe they're they're doctors, right? So, wow. Uh, my my yeah, my mom's a doctor, and then my um dad's a chemist. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so they're they're yeah. both in that in that in that, in that realm. Uh, how long did it take them to, at what age were you, were they bought into the professional soccer thing as an idea? And, and how long did they hold out and st- and still tell you, oh, this is fun and games, but you're going to be, you're going to get a degree. You're going to go to school, right? Because, I mean, I know, you know, Nigerian parents can definitely be, you know, when it comes to education yeah. and, and, and being a professional, stop with the games. You you know, you're going to be a doctor or something like that. How, how long did it take them to, to see what you saw? I mean... Uh, they still holding the out? Or they still think, hey, nah, you know what? <laughs> You're still going to be a doctor. At the end. <laughs> no, um, my parents actually were, I'd say, really cool about it. Um, I don't know when, because I've always valued education. They've always valued education. But just eventually, they just started to realize, oh, wow, he actually might be able to do something with this. So. It wasn't just like one day they're like, okay, you can do it. It was more just over time they started to realize, yeah, like this is serious. So, and they've supported me the whole the whole way. So, I can just always be grateful. As far as goalkeeping idols coming up, who who was the kind of first goalkeeper that really caught your eye as someone like, man, he I really like the way he plays the game. Yeah, I think uh, Edin van der Sar. Edin van der Sar is always he's always been like the guy for me um just as a kid watching him he's just he looked so composed all the time and like the like the pressures of being a goalkeeper it's not easy to like keep your head all the time and he just was i just loved how calm he was but then he just pull out unbelievable saves like and then wouldn't even wouldn't even be phased as what a keeper and someone with my kind of build as well so it just 
yeah, he's he's the guy. For right. sure. And it, it's true, definitely his the way he played. It, it never he, it never seemed like a big moment. It like he he it, yeah. for him it looked like he was a training. Like his just same you know temperament. Like no moment was too big for him. And it is interesting that you said yeah. that in terms of. Being a tall goalkeeper is, is even though he was a tall goalkeeper, he didn't play like a tall goalkeeper. Like he played exactly, like a, yeah. almost like a field player. Like he just had that kind of comfort with the ball and, and just in all his movements. Mm-hmm. As you're coming up, w- w- did you f- follow the U.S. team when you were coming up? Like how, how was that? Like what was your kind of your did you did you pay attention to the U.S. men's national team as you were you, you were growing up? I mean, uh, international. Like of course, I watched uh, international football. Like. When the World Cups came, I'd like uh, I'd, I'd really watch, I'd watch all of the games. But uh, yeah, I'd always keep a good tab on the US. What was your sure, first yeah. World Cup? What was your first World Cup that you watched that you can remember, like being into it? Um, it would have had to be. It would have had to be 2010. 2010 was the first one that I actually properly remember. So you're like, like seven? The game. How old are you? Like seven? Seven, eight? Yeah, yeah, I'd be seven. I'd be seven. So, you, so that okay. was probably the first one. Yeah. So, okay, that was in South Africa, and I was there. I was actually there. Yeah. I was there. Uh, I covered, there. I, yeah, I was there. I was at, and I was at USA England. So I got to ask you. So, yeah, when you're USA watching that game, what, did you were you rooting? Like, what, who'd you? Because you're living in England at that time, right? Yeah, I would have been seven, so I just would have wanted to see a bunch of goals. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. You weren't so you, weren't, so you weren't even a goalkeeper then. You're just a kid kind of watching. I wasn't, no. So when Clint yeah, Dempsey scores that, so when Clint Dempsey scores that goal, not that you're gonna remember your seven, but Robert Green has the howler. Clint Dempsey scores that yeah, goal. Yeah, the Robert, the Robert Green. Right, Robert Green. So, I actually yeah. It was more of like um I felt I d I don't know, I watched and I was like, Wow, that's just unlucky, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so you felt and like because yeah, it was just because the moment, like because you never want to see right. someone do someone mess up like that. So, well, you, so you're but, yeah. destined to be a goalkeeper. If that was your reaction, then then you obviously you're at that point. Even though you were only seven, you knew then you were probably yeah. gonna be a goalkeeper. You're feeling for the goalkeeper in that moment. So. Yeah, but then went to school straight away to talk about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Great. Well, so so mm. last one for me. Now, obviously, at your age, uh, you know, goalkeepers, obviously, you don't get a lot of goalkeepers who who get to play regular games as, as you know, as a teenager. You know, obviously, more recently, I think Donnarumma in Italy uh, played very mm. young. Before him, you had to go back to maybe Iker Casillas with Real Madrid. Uh, so in terms of as much as you're, I know you're eager to get first team action, uh, is it is it also do you kind of also understand that you kind of need to be patient and, and that it might take some time? Like what? Wh- how do you how do you strike that balance between being hungry but also knowing that you're going to probably need to be a little patient? I mean, yeah, you're gonna have to be. I'm gonna have to be patient for when my time comes. But the way I always want to think about it is that my time will come. Yeah, it's, it'll come eventually, and I just need to be ready. So all the stuff that I'm doing now has to be so that I'm ready for that time to come so that I can take that opportunity because uh, eventually I will get that opportunity, of course, um, and just have to be have to be ready and prepared. Right. And what does it do for you to see all these young Americans kind of 
you know, stepping up and, and, and breaking through, because I got to tell you, this is, you know, I've been around a long time and there's never been a generation like this with this many young Americans breaking through, especially in Europe. So like, does that, how, how much does that, does that kind of motivate you? Does that kind of get you, get oh, you hyped 100%, up? 100%. Like, like people have to watch out because, because we're coming. We're, we're coming. We're coming in numbers. We're coming in numbers. And ha- have you circled 2026? Is that like, I, I'm starting, I want to be starting opening game World Cup US in the US. Is that, because that's, what is that, five years away? I think it's, yeah. I think, I think everyone circled 2026. The, uh, like the team for 2026 will, I can see it being one of the, one of the best US teams ever today like i think everyone's you got kids kids even younger than me that uh that's still playing in academy somewhere they've circled that day so yeah that's definitely that's definitely uh the world cup to watch that's gonna be it's gonna be a team Right, right well i'll tell you what five years from now five years away so uh you and you'll still be young you'll still you'll be like 20 Two, twenty-three, twenty-three. You'll be twenty-three, so you'll still yeah. be still be pretty young. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we see you there, and uh, maybe we'll see you starting in goal, yeah. and uh, maybe it'll be here. Oh, I, I, that'll I, be a dream. That'll yeah. be a dream come true. That's right. Well, uh, definitely appreciate the time, and and good luck, uh, good luck the, can, with your continued uh, progress out there, Leicester City, and hopefully we can see you back in the U.S. camp uh, pretty soon. And uh, definitely, once again, thank you for your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. It was great to be on. And that's a Dunzi. And I got to tell you, in terms of for for an 18 year old, he's got tons of personality and you love to see that. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before, but, you know, Weston McKinney, it kind of reminds me of Weston McKinney. When the the first time I interviewed Weston McKinney, you could kind of as young as he was, he still he already had that personality to him, that kind of real air of confidence, because sometimes you get younger players and they're kind of shy. They're, you know, they haven't come out of their shells yet. But those strong personalities, you you love to see that at a young age, because it it shows you that there's some leadership qualities there. And as they grow into that, uh, the the potential there is is pretty sky high. And obviously, Adunzi is is, uh, one of the better young goalkeeper prospects in the US US pipeline and as much as he is a dual national and eligible for multiple countries as he just told us he is locked in and committed to the United States and and you know knock on wood hopefully that doesn't change and we have seen that happen before where someone's committed to the US and then it changed their mind but I think it's safe to say Adunz is going to stay stay put with the U.S. And uh, that's great. Great to see. And uh, he's already penciling in 2026. So uh, maybe, you know, someone will listen to this episode five years from now and realize, wow, Adunzi is the starter for the U.S. now. And look, he, he, he saw it coming five years ago. So we'll see. We'll see if that works out. But uh, great. Definitely great to have him on. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully he can get some playing time sooner than later. And as we wrap up this episode of the SBI show, we'll touch on MLS. It was a bit of a quiet week in MLS. Uh, there, there was no no real crazy drama, no big stories, no big signings, no uh, no prospective owners pulling out, no controversial moves like Blaze Matuidi. Uh, it was pretty quiet for MLS. Uh, the, the the moves that, that I have kind of written down here, Montreal obviously with Thierry Henry moving on, uh, they had to replace him and they've replaced him with longtime assistant Wilf, Wilfred Nancy. And is it's not a glamorous hire. It's not a, it's not a head turning hire. And I tell you what, it, I think it's going to be a rough year for Montreal. And nothing against the, the the new coach, but it's it's not a great roster as things stand. And as much as I, you know, I, I really I really rate Henri as a coaching candidate, as a coaching prospect. Right? I think he's someone who has a bright future as a coach. Uh, 
you know, now with him gone and with Nancy taking over, he, I mean, he's obviously an un, you know an unproven commodity. He hasn't been a head coach, and who knows? Maybe he'll pan out, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put my money on it. And it's not so much. I'm not putting it all on Nancy, but I just don't think this squad is that good. So I think it's going to be a rough year in Montreal. Uh, speaking of another, speaking of another team who I don't know about the 2021, they're going to have the New York Red Bulls have added another promising piece to the puzzle in Andrew Gutman, who they have acquired on loan from Atlanta United. And now you're going to say, wait a minute, when did Atlanta get Andrew Gutman? Well, they actually just acquired him from Celtic. They made a deal with Celtic to acquire him, and then they flipped him and loaned him to the Red Bulls for, I believe, 50k in allocation money and. Uh, you know, I got to say, I like it. I like Gutman as a prospect, as a left back. I was surprised that Cincinnati didn't hold on to him. You know, I, I don't know if the price tag was prohibitive uh, in terms of from Celtic or what have you. But obviously, with the Red Bulls, they they they've been their their left back position has been an issue since Kamar Lawrence left, and maybe Gutman can help solidify that and earn himself a permanent stay with the Red Bulls. Uh, obviously, he was a really really highly rated prospect coming out of Indiana. Uh, he was a Chicago Fire homegrown player, and they didn't sign him or didn't work out, and he he chose to go to Europe and bounced back and forth here. And now here he is in MLS with the Red Bulls, and obviously the Red Bulls are on this whole youth wave. Uh, they recently signed Cameron Harper. They obviously signed Andres Reyes. So you're talking about 20, 23 and under. They're all about it. They're all about bringing in the 23 and, and under players. And they've got some promise. They've got some talent, but in, are they... As I said last episode, and as I'll keep saying, hopefully not too often, or hopefully not to the point that it's just repetitive, I just think it's going to be a rough year for the Red Bulls. Rough in terms of them getting back to that Supporter Shield winning standard, getting back to competing and contending for an MLS Cup. Don't see it happening. Is it going to be a year where the, where Red Bulls fans can enjoy some young players that uh, emerging and some young players that could potentially break out and, and become star players? Possibly, but that's really what you're going to ha- be hoping for and hanging your hat on is hope is that that because that's pretty much what you have to look forward to because I don't see you Red Bulls winning an MLS Cup or even coming close and I don't see them winning a supporter shield, but they do have some really promising young talent and you know what if they can keep that together for a year maybe we're talking in 2022 a team that can actually compete for a title but for this year I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains under a new coach and with this infusion of of young talent but we'll see hopefully they're a fun team to watch because i obviously i'm gonna get to see a lot of them here in new jersey so we'll see what they can do in terms of a team that i think will have a good year the uh, nycfc uh they have re-signed gideon zalalem in a, a little bit of a surprising move obviously he didn't play he hardly played at all for them in 2020 so and then they initially didn't re-sign him but now they're bringing him back and you know what hopefully he can get an opportunity to play more uh, obviously, U.S. national team fans uh, remember him as this long-term prospect at Arsenal and, you know, super skilled midfielder. But, you know, obviously, after he tore his ACL and, and that kind of derailed his career, hopefully he can get things going again and make uh, become kind of an impact player for NYCFC and, and find himself a, a good role for for NYCFC. But you know what? We'll see if we'll see if uh, if he can do it. And that's going to wrap up this 
episode of the SBI show. And uh, I got to say, definitely thank you to Chituru Adunzi for joining us from Leicester. And uh, we obviously covered uh, quite a few different topics as much as I completely left out the U.S. men's national team roster projection, which I originally had slated for this episode. I'll have that on our next episode, which should drop on Saturday. We'll see who we get on as a guest for next episode. If we have a guest for the next episode, uh, I'm still working on that. Obviously, the MLS season is five weeks away, so it's already time to start interviewing coaches and players for that. So uh, we'll see about that. And obviously, next episode, we should be talking about the U.S. under 23 men's national team uh, Olympic qualifying roster. The final roster should be announced the next day or so, and we'll know who makes that final 20-man group. We'll be able to break that down as well and hopefully have a player, hopefully have even Jason Christ join us to discuss that. But I think that's it for now. Thank you for joining us. Once again, thank you to Chituru Adunzi for joining us. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and this is The SBI Show. Mm-hmm.